And this morning we return to this parable in Luke chapter 15. We focus on verse 25 to 32 this morning, but let me read for us by way of context the entire parable from verse 11. This is what God's word says, beginning in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he, that is Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe, safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we ask now that by your Spirit you would reveal to us the truth of your heart for sinners and the glories of the gospel. Speak to us, O Lord. Help us to listen. Give us ears to hear and to behold the wonder of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. This morning, we return to this parable famously known as the parable of the prodigal son, referring to the younger of the two sons who left his father's house in pursuit of a lifestyle of unrestrained sin and carnality. 
And it's the classic archetype of a rebellious child who goes astray, ruins his life, and returns home in need. And as we focused on the younger son last Sunday, we saw a marvelous picture of the gospel as revealed in the overflowing love of the father and the undeserved grace that was lavished upon this wretched young man when he simply returned home. And all of this was but a shadow pointing to the infinite mercy and love of God for lost sinners who repent and return to him, no matter how wretched or vile they may have lived. Now, perhaps some of you hear the story of the younger prodigal son, and you feel that you can't quite relate This whole parable doesn't seem very relevant to you because after all, you haven't lived a life of debauchery and gross immorality. But instead, you've stayed away from the heinous vices of life and you've generally pursued good virtues, hard work, civil obedience, moral decency. In fact, maybe you've been a fairly regular church attendee throughout much of your life. And so if the gospel is this beautiful outpouring of the grace of God upon lost sinners like the prodigal son, the younger brother, what relevance does it have for someone like me who never left the house, as it were, who's been inside the doors of the church all these years? And the answer is everything. It has everything to do with you, the gospel. If this is you, this parable is perfectly relevant for you, maybe even more so than for the prodigals in this room. Because as I mentioned last week, this parable is primarily about the older son, the elder brother who never left the house. Notice the context in which Jesus tells this parable. It's not just a story he decides to tell in a vacuum. But the parable is in response to the Pharisees and scribes in verses 1 and 2 who were grumbling at Jesus, who who was welcoming sinners, receiving them. Now, these religious leaders, they were proud and they were self-righteous. They heard Jesus preach on so many occasions the gospel of God's grace for sinners, the call to humble repentance and receiving his mercy and forgiveness, but it never registered for them because, as far as they could tell, the gospel seemed irrelevant to them because they were good religious people. They, they haven't lived in, in blatant rebellion and, and reckless debauchery like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and all kinds of sinners. No, to the contrary, they were squeaky clean, good church people, so to speak, and they were proud of it. And so they grumbled when they saw Jesus embracing the really messed up people. And it's in response to their grumbling that Jesus gives a sequence of three parables, one after the other. Verse 3, it says, So he told them, in response, this parable, beginning with the first one, the parable of the lost sheep, from verses 3 through 7. And then the second parable, the parable of the lost coin, in verses 8 through 10. And then the third and final parable, from verses 11 to 32, the parable of the lost sons. Plural. They're both lost. The older brother is lost too. That's what this parable is about. Because you see, the older brother, while he was 
physically close to his father. He was far from him in spirit. It wasn't just the younger brother who was distant from his father, but the older one was just the same within his heart. Because as Jesus reveals in the parable, the older son had no relationship of love with his father. Why not? Because although he was a son, he lived like a slave. He saw himself as a slave of his father, and thus he never saw his father as his father, but only a slave driver. And so he was estranged from his father in spirit and in attitude. This, friends, is the emptiness of dead religion. Outwardly kept together, doesn't appear rebellious, but the heart inside is hollow and dead with no true relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is showing us through this older brother, the elder son. Look in verse 25 as we are introduced to him for the first time in this parable. Now remember, the, the, the prodigal younger brother, the younger son, had just returned from his wretched life away in the far country. And again, we saw last week how his father ran to him, embraced him with kisses and lavished an array of undeserved gifts and blessings. And, and he received his lost son with so much joy that he immediately called for a feast to celebrate the safe return of his beloved son. And so the festivities begin and the, the chefs, they start preparing the most, most extravagant meal. The, the household servants are setting the table. The, the DJ starts, I don't know what you call it, dropping the bass or whatever they say. Joy and exuberance is in the air. But here is the older son, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. What was he doing away out in the field? Working. Laboring. And this becomes very important later. It says that he was out in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant he hears music and dancing rather than seeing it with his own eyes because he was out in some distant field tirelessly walking working rather throughout the day and when he called one of the household servants to ask what all this commotion was about he was told verse 27 your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf you know what the fattened calf was it was the best meat the best steak you know, you go out to a nice steak restaurant and you get the most expensive meat. What does it have? It has all the marbling, all the fat. The father just killed the fattened calf, the best of the best for his son. Why? Because he has received them back safe and sound, rejoicing at his life, his new life, because he was practically dead, but now was alive again, as the father says in verse 32. But when the older brother heard all of this, says in verse 28 that he was angry and refused to go in. His Im immediate reaction was that bitterness boiled within him, and in his rage, he refused to join the celebration. And it says that his father even came out to him in the field. He noticed that his older boy was absent at the feast, so he came out to him and entreated him. 
urged him to come to where he was. Why are you so far away from me, son? Come, join the family feast. We're missing you. But the son remained angry. Now, why was he so angry? This is the key to the point of this whole parable. Look at how he responds to his father's entreaty in verse 29. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. At first glance, it's easy to say, oh, he was just an you know, a, a typical older brother meme. He was unloving and lacking compassion. Okay, I mean, yes. But why? I mean, that, that, that's too simplistic to say, oh, he's, he's mean. He needs to learn how to be happy for his older brother. That's so simplistic as if the solution for him is that he needs to watch more Barney the Purple Dinosaur and learn that sharing is caring. No, the Bible is not just some moral guidebook. The human psyche is far more complex and intricate than that. Because the Bible is expositing the human soul. And so let's ask, what triggered his deep-seated anger? Or better yet, we should ask, who triggered his anger? Who was he angry with ultimately? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't his little brother. But his anger, his frustration, was directed toward his father, who had acted in sheer grace to his little brother, lavished on him unmerited favor and love when he, the older brother, had been trying to merit and earn his love all his life by his good behavior. His words to his father are most revealing. All these years, I have served you. Now that word, serve, that is the most important word in this entire parable. It's difficult to capture the full force and nuance of this word in English. There are a lot of different words for serve in the Bible. But it can be translated like this. Ready for it? All these years, I have slaved away for you. I've slavishly obeyed you all these years. And never did I disobey your command. Now here, what he says is not just that I never infringed your commands. I never breached them. But literally, I never bypassed them. I never overlooked any one of your commands. I never missed them. These words and these word choices Tell us so much of his mindset. He was saying, I kept tabs on all your rules, Father. I took meticulous notes on what you said to do and not to do. I jotted down every rule and I slaved away at trying to keep every single one without missing any. But you gave me nothing for it all. Not even a tiny goat for dinner. But when this son of yours 
after a lifestyle of rebellion and going against everything you taught us to do and not to do. When he simply came home with nothing to show for himself, you gave him everything. The best of the best, the fattened calf. It's not fair. You see, the older brother, he wanted his younger brother to pay for his sins. But it's not just because he was a mean older brother and was unkind to his little bro. But it's because he had spent his whole life trying to pay for his own sins. Trying to earn his father's approval and acceptance. And that's why he was irate that the prodigal, reckless little brother freely received all that he was slavishly trying to earn. This, my friends, is the bondage of legalism. Works righteousness, self-righteousness, trying to earn your keep before God by your own striving, by your own performance. It is the mindset of a slave, tirelessly at work in the field to appease God. And yet all that striving is but a heavy burden to carry begrudgingly because you're motivated by the threat of punishment, the fear of not attaining what you are striving for, God's acceptance. Legalism is obedience under duress, devoid of love for God. I mean, look at this older son. What is his true sentiment toward his father? It's resentment. He resents his father. Because for whatever reason, he sees his father as a harsh authoritarian, someone who imposes rules and demands. And only if you comply with all of them, then maybe he'll let you have dinner. That is the mindset of a slave, not a son. And such thinking can only breed enmity and bitterness because you're not drawn to him. Enjoy and delight. You don't see him as good and trustworthy. And any act of obedience is only outward actions. While deep inside, you don't want to obey. You hate obeying Him. You wish you didn't have to. You don't see His commands as good. I mean, isn't this precisely the older brother's attitude? Saying, do you know how hard I've been working to follow your rules? Do you know how arduous it's been living in this house? That's why he says, look, these many years, literally so many years I've slaved away for you. You hear the tone? He's exasperated. He's fed up. All those years, he obeyed unhappily. See here, this older son who never left the house, he had no love for his father. Look at how he even complains. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He has no desire to enjoy his father's presence. Because he has no relationship of love as his son. And so this older son may never have left the house with his feet. But his heart had left a long time ago. And he was never at home in the presence of his father. He was away in the far country in spirit. And so the severe famine for him 
was the famine that was in his heart. Empty, hollow, spiritually lifeless, joyless as a slave. And this is exactly what the Pharisees were like, weren't they? God said of them, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in so doing, for all their so-called meticulous obedience and self-righteousness, they disobeyed the greatest command, the command of all commands. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Are you here today like the older brother? Oh, the world is filled with these older brothers whose hearts are spiritually dead. They have no love for God. They do not know what it is to have affection for Him and to be drawn to Him in joy. But they can all be found, these older brothers, every Sunday inside the doors of God's house, trying to do good religion, maintain decent morals with the faint hopes that because of all their earnest efforts that God will accept them one day. And they think they deserve it. But all along, their hearts are far from Him. They have no relationship with Him. They are estranged from God and His love. They're enslaved to legalistic, empty religion. If this is you this morning, have you considered that you are lost? Spiritually. That the honest truth is that you straight up do not know God. And the God you think you know is not the true God of the Bible who has revealed himself as he truly is through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, what Jesus is doing through this parable is performing soul surgery to show that good, decent people are just as lost as the prodigals, and are just as much in need of the gospel of God's grace because both are alienated from the Father's presence all the same, devoid of true spiritual life. And only the gospel can raise their spiritually dead hearts to new life in Christ because this is the gospel. It begins with man's greatest problem that we are all sinners before an infinitely holy God. And because he is infinitely holy, Our sin is of infinite offense against Him. Now that means two things. First of all, that everyone is under equal peril. The moralistic person is in no better state than the immoral person. The the religious Pharisee and the filthy prostitute both deserve God's infinite righteous judgment of eternal wrath. Because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. No one is perfect in sinless obedience to God's law. And secondly, this means then that we cannot sufficiently pay for our own sins. We cannot undo the infinite offense we have done to God. You want to try? How many good deeds do you want to do? A hundred? A thousand? A billion? Still not enough. There is nothing you can do 
to somehow appease the justice of God's wrath upon sinners and somehow climb your way back to God's favor and pleasure. Sinners are rightfully and eternally condemned, period. Look, do you see why legalism is so exasperating? Why does trying to merit God's approval breed so much misery and joylessness? Because the law of God is written on our conscience. And deep down, every religious legalist knows that it is all hopeless and in vain. It is impossible. That's where the lifeless gloom stems from. It's the soul's instinctive and subconscious awareness of despair and futility. It's true slavery, working and slaving away all for nothing. But listen, here is the good news of God's grace. The gospel of God's gift of unmerited favor and acceptance that God has done for sinners what they could not do by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to be born into the world as man, to take the place of sinful man, to redeem hopeless sinners. How? By vicariously living the life of perfect, flawless immaculate, sinless human obedience. And thus him earning the right to be accepted by God and deserve his favor. And not only that, he paid for the full punishment of sin on the cross, dying in the place of sinners he came to save, taking on the wrath of God upon himself. And he rose from the grave on the third day to announce this promise to sinners that he will freely give to you everything that he earned and make it yours. All that he merited by his life of perfect obedience. It will be applied to your account as though you had done it. If you realize and confess your sin. That you are a hopeless sinner. Unable to save yourself. And you trust in him. You put your trust and confidence and faith in what he has done. His saving work for sinners like you. And if you confess your sin and you turn to Him by faith, you will be forgiven. And you will stand righteous before God. This is the generosity and goodness of the Father's love revealed through Christ. Not only does He give some fattened calf for sinners, but He has given His own Son, the Lamb of God, to be brought and killed for them. God has done all the work through Christ His Son. You cannot earn it. You cannot do it. God did it because you could never do it. In love. In compassion. And it's only if you confess and believe that, that can you receive it. And He gives it freely, completely, happily. This is the gospel of unmerited grace. The grace of God that sets us free from the bondage of legalism. Because listen, when a sinner repents and puts his faith in Jesus Christ, he is not just permitted to enter God's presence as a distant slave and spend the rest of his life trying to work and maintain that favor. But he is adopted as God's own child. 
with the full privileges and rights that come with it. And this is so wonderfully expressed in what the father of this parable says in response to his son, estranged and hard in verse 31. After hearing all that his son said, which by the way was a false accusation, it was delusional, it was not true, and you'll see why in a moment, the father says to him in verse 31, son, child, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The son had claimed, I've slaved away for you all these years trying to earn even a measly goat for all my efforts and labor. But the father says, my child, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Why do you behave like you're not my child? Why do you operate as though you're just some hired slave? And as though I were some harsh master. You are my child. Don't you know you are my child with whom I am well pleased. Not because of anything you've done or haven't done, but simply because you are my child. My love for you is on the basis of my love for you. Period. As your father, I love you because I love you. That's what it means to be my child and I, I your father. That you are always with me and I am always with you. You don't have to earn my approval, my pleasure. As my child, you only need to receive it. You wanted a young goat to have a party with your friends? Why didn't you just ask me? You never asked me. Well, I'll tell you why he didn't ask. And he didn't think to ask. Because he thought of himself as a slave, not a son. It was delusional. His mind was completely corrupted and dominated by a lie. And he resented his father because of it and refused to believe that he was a son and felt that even a young goat, he had to work for it. When that young goat was already his and all that was his father's was his. That's why the father said something so obvious. Don't you know that because you're my son, all that is mine is yours. Freely, happily, rightfully. And your brother hasn't received anything that you don't already have by virtue of being my son. You see, all religion is slavery. Paying off a debt you can never fully repay. Striving to climb up to cross some threshold you'll never reach trying with all your might to earn a status you'll never attain. Religion is slavery. But the gospel is sonship. Salvation is becoming a son through the son. Christian, do you believe this today? Or have you, these recent days, have you been reverting into a slavish mindset of trying to, for some reason, earn what is already yours fully. Are you struggling today with unbelief? You know, this is a very misunderstood word, unbelief. Some of you have been taught to think that unbelief is just some catch-all phrase for any time you do something disobedient or don't live up to the standard of Christian excellence. Perhaps, God forbid... The word unbelief was used 
as a threat by some previous church to insinuate that if you're not excelling in Christian performance, that you're in danger of unbelief and falling away and losing your salvation. That's kind of the opposite of what unbelief means. Because unbelief means chiefly to refuse to believe and trust in what? What is the object of unbelief? The grace of God. Unbelief is to revert to the legalistic mindset of the older brother of insisting that you must slavishly earn and maintain God's happiness with you by your works, even now as a Christian. But do you understand this blessed gospel truth for each and every day that Christ has accomplished your justification? That God has adopted you as son as daughter, and as such, nothing can separate you from that relationship and all the outpouring of love that comes to you because you are his child. Nothing, no sin, no temptation, no weakness, no, no shame. Because the full basis of your standing before God is in Christ alone. And this is the root of every believer's daily struggle. To really believe that the gospel is that good. That's the struggle of unbelief. In fact, that's why verse 2 says that the Pharisees and scribes, they grumbled against Jesus. They grumbled in unbelief. Now, do you know where this word grumbled comes from? It comes from the Old Testament. As the Israelites, remember, they wandered in the wilderness and they grumbled against God and they kept falling into unbelief. But again, let's ask the question, what was the nature of their unbelief? What did they disbelieve? They disbelieved. They refused to trust the promises of God. That God was really leading them to the promised land. And that he would protect them all throughout the journey. And he, when they get there, it will be the greatest thing ever. They refused to trust that God was as kind and as sufficient and as good as he said he was. And that he would bless them overabundantly. They couldn't believe it. But he said so. That he would bless them. Why? Because he said so. That's grace. That was the promise he made to Abraham. Okay, well then why did God make that promise to Abraham? That he would bring his offspring into the land. Because he did. Period. And praise God for it. And trust God for it. Christian, do you know and believe the full doctrine of the New Testament that tells you that because you are in Christ, that you have every spiritual blessing, that you are an heir of God the Father, and it has pleased Him to take you unto Himself as His child. And as such, His love for you each day is really not contingent whatsoever on your present or future obedience but it is based solely on the perfect obedience of Christ, which has already been accomplished and finished. Now listen, I know how hard it is for some of you to believe this. 
Can I just be blunt for a second? I look around this room and I spy with my little eye that many of you are Asian. (laughs) And while there are many wonderful things about that, you know, it also comes with a culture dominated by earning everything of proving yourself through merit, earning, deserving everything with hard work. And some of you, perhaps many of you, Asian or not, you are raised under that kind of parenting where good behavior, good obedience, good performance earned you yet another day of your father's smiles or your mother's happiness with you. But those, even those few occasions, they seem to be exceptions to the rule. And the default mode of thinking was to wonder, are they proud of me? You know what we're really asking, what we're saying? When, when we want to hear, I'm proud of you, you know what we, what we really want to hear To hear I'm proud of you means I am pleased with you. I am so happy to be your father, to be your mother. I am so happy that you are my child. If only you could have heard more verbally and more frequently that confirmation of their love Look, nothing against your parents, but I want you to know that God is the Holy Father. He is not like that. Do not import your experience into your relationship with Him. If you have been made His child through faith, then you never need to wonder, is God pleased with me? Because God has verbally made it clear through a literal, audible voice from heaven, you are my beloved with you. I am well pleased. And this was spoken to Christ, his son, in that Jordan River at his baptism. But it was spoken for you because all who are in Christ, united to him by faith, that heavenly voice of the Father is for you, for all time, without variation or change, on your best days as a Christian, and on your worst days as a Christian. Why? Because you are His child. End of story. Notice what the father of the parable says at the end in verse 32. He says, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad at your your brother's return. He's saying it's it's right. It's not abnormal. It's not unreasonable that I, as the father, should respond in joy, in happiness, and in delight. It's appropriate. It's fitting. Now, what does that tell you about how he saw even his younger son as he was rebelling He saw him as a lost son. 
but still his son. A disobedient son, but still his son. All along, the father never despised him. He never demoted him into the status of slave based on his bad behavior. You know, uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, I remembered something I had read maybe about 10 years ago that stuck with me, that really did it for me. And I went back to my book, The Essential Works of Charles Spurgeon, and I flipped to the page, and there I saw my old highlights from 10 years ago. And this is what Spurgeon said in a sermon that he preached. Sonship is a thing that all the infirmities of our flesh and all the sins into which we are hurried by temptation can never violate or weaken. The prodigal was his father's son when he was among the harlots and when he was feeding swine. And God's children are God's children anywhere and everywhere and will be even to the end. Nothing can sever that sacred tie or divide us from his heart. If you're a son, you are a son forever. This is the freedom of sonship. Unlike the bondage of legalism which breeds resentment, this gospel assurance is what produces unspeakable joy and peace and stokes the flames of love and devotion to God, your Father. Christian, you must fight against the older brother syndrome with the precious truths of the gospel. Fight the good fight of the faith to believe his promises that they are that good. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And the more you believe this, the more you will love your father who so perfectly loves you and you will delight to do his will, to listen to his commandments of loving instruction and so happily Live to honor your Father in the comfort of His abiding presence. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for the gospel of your Son through whom you have sealed your adopting love for sinners like us. Father, we are still weak. We believe, but we ask that you would help our unbelief. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here who are lost like the older brother, that you would bring their hearts to home and that you would show them the glory of the gospel. Father, as we prepare now to take the Lord's Supper, which you have so graciously given to us, we ask that you would help us to receive them by faith, these elements of the bread and the cup. Though ordinary that they are, you have ordained for them to minister to us supernaturally, that by them we might be reminded that it has always been you feeding us, you loving us, you caring for us. 
and you giving all of yourself, all of Christ to us, his body and his blood poured out for us. Holy Spirit, minister to us and strengthen the faith of your people by it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.